Today we're going to be looking at um, three groups that are very prominent uh, during the tribulation time. They are the martyrs, those who lose their lives because they've converted to Jesus Christ. That's an important statement. The 144,000 Jewish evangelists who go out and minister uh, to the world for the sake of the gospel. And the two witnesses who uh, very prominently proclaim uh, the truth of Christ and uh, experience some trauma and tragedy uh, during their ministry. All of this orchestrated by God, of course. <clears throat> so if you have a Bible with you today or a Bible available, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 6. And then we're going to look at Revelation chapter 11. We'll, we'll glance at several other texts in between, but they'll be our main texts that, that we will be looking at today. So first of all, the martyrs. You know, it's believed that the early church father, Tertullian, made this comment uh, that's rung through the ages of history. He says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. In other words, we, we need the blood of the martyrs to edify, to build up, to exhort, to direct, to steer, to grow the church as the church should be growing to where the church is today and where she'll go in the future also. <clears throat> and with all of that, no group seems to have been tormented or martyred more than the Jewish people, if you want. Over millennia, the, the Hebrews, as God's chosen people, they've experienced extreme persecution. They've experienced extreme martyrdom simply because of their belonging to God, their, their following of Yahweh. And that's caused great opposition to them. In the 6th century BC, uh, the Jews were taken uh, from Jerusalem, taken captive by the Babylonians. And then not long after that, Haman attempts to annihilate all the Jews within the Persian Empire. And then um, King Antiochus Epiphanes, he murders 40,000 Jews, and then he sells a further 40,000 into slavery simply because of their not willing to follow his god Zeus, but rather they were following Yahweh. And then, of course, in more modern times, in recent times, we're all somewhat familiar, historically at least, with um, the, the tragic activities of the Holocaust driven by Hitler and his Nazis, where, where over 6 million Jews brutally lost their lives simply because they were Jewish people. Uh, so that was the trauma and the tragedy. Well, here in our text in Revelation 6, in verses 9 to 11, uh, God reveals to John all these, he reveals these future martyrdoms, and he's looking way down the track into the tribulation time. And he says, there's been all these martyrdoms taking place, but there's going to be more happen to my people in the tribulation. Here's what he writes um, in, in Revelation 6, 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held, so just simply for loving God. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? O Lord, when are you going to take vengeance on these people for what they've done to us? And so we read then in verse 11, Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brothers who would be killed as they were was completed. Now, after the rapture, the church and the, uh, and the resurrection of the dead in Christ, there's going to be this massive outbreak of mart martyrdom. So the church is raptured, uh, the 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 resurrection of the dead in Jesus are taken, and then it's going to be this massive outbreak of martyrdom. And during the tribulation period, which is that time, it seems that God's going to focus on the salvation of his beloved Israel. He's going to minister to them. It's expected that at this time there's going to be a great turning to God 
by the Jewish people. The church is gone. The Jewish people will be left as not being part of the church. And so they're going to have to turn to God during this tribulation time. Paul writes about it in Romans 11, 25 to 26. Here's what Paul writes. For I do not desire, brothers, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That is, until all the Gentiles are redeemed, and therefore the church is taken. Um, and he continues then, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So this turning to God by the Jews, this is going to cause massive anger, massive opposition to the Antichrist. And so he's going to be so upset that he will construct or direct, if you want, the martyrdom of Jewish converts, those who have converted to Yahweh, converted to God during this tribulation time. And it's thought that these Jews will convert to Christ uh, by through the, terrify, the, the, the terrifying testimony, if you want, of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, evangelists and also by the proclamation of the two witnesses. We'll look at those shortly. But we must appreciate that martyrdom is going to be a common occurrence during the tribulation. Uh, John tells us in chapter 12, verse 11, that these, these martyrs did not love their lives to the point of death. They realized, you know, after giving their life to Christ in the, in the tribulation, there's more importance in, in, in eternity, more important than right with God in eternity than I, I live this life. And so they, they, in that sense, they give up their lives. So those whom John sees under the altar in chapter 6, verse 9, are these very martyrs. And for any true believer who is martyred for their faith in Christ during this time, their life is offered as a sacrifice to God. And, and they themselves are guaranteed entrance into his holy presence. And this is what it means for them to be under the altar. But then we read in verse 10 of their appealing, if you want, their appeal to, to God for vengeance upon those who have caused this suffering to them. And because this is happening during the tribulation period, the Spirit of God is gone. The Spirit of God is gone with the church. So there's rampant out of control chaos here in the earth. And there's no, no restraint of any time. There's no gracious restraint, as the scriptures talk about, by the Spirit being now gone. So there's just this trauma, this tragedy, this devastation everywhere, this risk of death everywhere. To these people and so these people they they, they cry to god to take action uh, for them and they, they want to see something happen but th there's nothing happening so god comforts them however with these words in verse uh, verse 11 he tells them just rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and your brothers who would be killed as you were is complete and when that's complete, only at the completion of all those chosen for martyrdom will God step in and then God will move in his act of vengeance for such treatment of his children. He's not going to do it outside of that time. He will do it at that time when it's complete. And so the little while longer mentioned in 611 seems to then conclude with the words of Revelation chapter 14, verses 13 to 20. Let me read this text to you. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Verse 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle which would indicate vengeance. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat in the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. 
So he sat in the cloud, so he sat in the cloud, thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped, the habit beginning. Then another angel, verse 17, came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him, who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust in his, his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. So you can see he picks up potentially people, and he's throwing them in there for punishment. And the wine press was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the wine press up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 furlongs. So pretty horrendous, messy, horrible scene, the vengeance of God. So our great God will take revenge on the actions of sinful man, but with joy, we can read these words in Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So that's the outcome of these followers of God after such a traumatic and devastating um, death, if you want. With our martyrs um, entering their eternal rest, let's look at the 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are going to be busy during the tribulation. Uh, we, we read of them in, in Revelation 7 and then in Revelation uh, 14, 1 to 5. In fact, if you want to look there, Revelation 14, 1 to 5, that would be a really good spot to look at. Here's what we read. Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads, important statement. Uh, and I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the, the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They're, these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Incredible. Uh, revelation if you want about these people so we in revelation 7 we see these witnesses uh, at the beginning of their ministry um where they're just set aside in that sense for god and then in chapter 14 we meet them at the conclusion of their service so we discover in 14 verse 3 that they've been redeemed they've been brought, uh, bought from the earth christ has purchased these jewish servants with his own blood setting them aside to declare him to the to his world in the tribulation period and we also notice from 7, 3, and 4 that they are sealed by God, which was a, a distinguishing mark on their foreheads. Let me read that to you. Chapter 7, verses uh, 3 and 4. Um, Till we have sealed the servants of our God on, the, on their foreheads, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. So we see them being uh, marked in that sense and, and sealed. So we can... We can, we can imagine here that the, this mark put in their foreheads, and it's distinctly different to that mark of the beast or of the Antichrist, which is going to be evident in his followers as, as it's placed on their, their, their right hand or their forehead. But the Bible uses two different words, if you want, two different words in the Greek language to distinguish between these two marks. The, the, word, the first word 
sfragizo uh, refers to a, a seal of approval from God. So this has got this idea of being a seal of approval from God. And the second word, paragma, refers to a tattoo or some form of permanent marking like that, like that of the mark of the beast, perhaps in Revelation 13. So one's a seal of approval from God. And the other is this mark, potentially the mark of the beast. Um, author Robert Thomas writes this about identifying marks with regard to the 144,000 evangelists. Uh, this seal is going to uh, serve to, to, to guide them if you want. He writes these words. It's not uncommon for a soldier or a guild member to receive such a mark as a religious devotee. The mark was a sign of consecration to deity. The forehead was chosen because it was the most conspicuous, um, the most noble, and uh, the part by which a person is usually identified. It will be obvious to, uh, obvious to whom these slaves belong and whom they serve says Thomas. So in other words, this mark is going to be very evident. You belong here or you belong here. So these 144,000 evangelists, their seal, it serves them slightly differently. It's a, it's a protection, a protection, setting them aside for service, setting them aside to say, this person, this person, these persons will serve God for as long as God intends them to serve. That's what they're going to do. A man cannot do a thing about that. Their work is such that during the tribulation period, we see them preach the saving gospel of Jesus throughout the world, causing potentially millions of people to respond in, in faith to Christ. And then we, we read these words in Revelation 7, 9 to 17. So following on, let me read these words to you. Revelation 7, 9 to 17. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, says John, of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. <clears throat> All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing, glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. <clears throat> Amen. Excuse me. Verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these in red and white robes? And uh, where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore the sun shall not strike them nor any heat for the lamb who's in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water and god will wipe away every tear from their eyes really encouraging words for them if you want <clears throat> so the work of these evangelists <clears throat> is incredibly fruitful we need to further notice that all 144,000 of these evangelists, these Jewish evangelists, are fully protected, enabling their accomplishment of this work. So we, we see them standing on Mount Zion with the Lamb, having achieved what they were sent to do. They've accomplished it, if you want. We also notice that they're all men and they're all virgins. As we read in 14, verse 4, they have not defied themselves with women and have remained virgins. See, throughout their ministry, their commitment has been to the Lamb, and then they followed him wherever he goes. We know the lamb, however, to be Jesus. Of course, we know that. But he's also a shepherd. So he leads his 144,000 faithful followers to wherever he wants them to go and proclaim and preach his message. 
Matthew refers to this in, in Matthew 24, 14, saying, The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. That's important. So God will fulfill every prophecy mentioned in Scripture, and these evangelists will be part of that fulfillment, <clears throat> which is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. In all of this, we see God continuing to be merciful to his creation. Author Mark Hitchcock states that, writes like this, In every judgment of God, beginning with Noah, all the way to the tribulation, including the judgment of God's own Son on the cross, reveals God's mercy. Every judgment has a, a merciful nature behind it. So we're thankful for these faithful tribulation evangelists, as they may be the means, perhaps, of <clears throat> some of our family members who are left behind when the church is raptured. There are means of them coming to know Christ. They hear this message. The, 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 the memories are triggered, and they, they call upon Christ. They call upon God for salvation. And so they give themselves, knowing that they will lose their lives physically, but that they will live eternally. Well, we want to celebrate the ministry or future ministry of these 144,000 Jewish evangelists because they could impact our own families as well. And this displays the continuing and the ongoing grace of God. It's everywhere. <clears throat> now, here we come to number three, and keep your Bible open at Revelation 11. These are the two witnesses. Well, you may say, who exactly are these two witnesses? Well, before we get to Revelation 11, we've got to look back to the Old Testament. Zechariah 4, um, the prophet describes in verse 2, a gold lampstand, which is seven lamps, and at the top, uh, at the top, sorry, a seven lamps at the top with uh, seven spouts for each of the lamps. So visualize that there's seven lamps uh, and the tops have got seven spikes for each of the each of the lamps. Then he also mentions two olive trees in verse three, um, one on each side of the lampstand. Then in verse 14 of his prophecy, he says this. He refers to these olive trees that he's just mentioned as the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So they're standing by the Lord, these two anointed ones. And these two anointed ones are, are men, obviously, and they are considered as being these two individual witnesses. <clears throat> Malachi, the prophet Malachi, prophesied that Elijah would return as uh, the one who would prepare the way for the Lord's second coming, his second return to earth, if you want. Here's what we read in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commanded him at heart for all Israel. Look, I'm going to send you the prophet of Elijah. So he makes that very clear before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with the curse. So we're quite clear, Elijah most likely is one. He mentioned Moses there at the beginning. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant. So it's very possible that Moses is the other servant. And pastor and author David Jeremiah gives us these thoughts that may be helpful. He writes, both Moses and Elijah appeared at Christ's transfiguration in Matthew 17. So they were both there. They're mentioned here by Malachi. So there's an intrigue right there. And he also mentions that Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And so that could be a means of them working together in that sense. Um, so it's suggested generally that Elijah and Moses, or Moses and Elijah, however you want to look at that, are these two witnesses that we're looking at here. So with their ministry, let's look really pretty quickly at it. These two witnesses, they're going to preach to the Jews and Gentiles alike, but their message is going to be one of judgment. And they're going to do this for a period of three and a half years, bringing a statement of judgment 
to society in the midst of this tribulation period. People are going to think that this has got wild enough, but then it gets better for them and they're in control. But these men are preaching this judgmental message. So the reason as to why there are two witnesses is most likely to comply with, with Jewish law. We read in Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, of the testimony of two or three witnesses being necessary to see anyone deserving of the punishment of death to be executed. So if anybody's going to be executed, there has to be at least two, if not three witnesses. So we get that visuals of possibility right there. These witnesses, according to Revelation 11, 5, will be capable of bringing fire from their mouths to consume their enemies and, and their, their opposers. So as people oppose them, from their mouths will fly these this fire and will burn people up. Uh, and Revelation 11, 6, they, they will cause drought to come upon the earth for the duration of their ministry, which is three and a half years. So it's going to be a drought in the whole earth. They're going to cause that for three and a half years. And more than this, they'll cause the waters of the world to turn to blood. That's what these witnesses can do. Such will be their ministry of judgment on the world. They're going to make big statements. They're going to be do big activities to show mankind this is a judgment. And because of their judgment upon the world, the new world ruler being Antichrist will become enraged against them. So we read in verse 7 of, of Revelation 11, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them overcome them and kill them now their death will indicate the midway point of the tribulation period we read about their deaths in uh, in verse 8 of our text or revelation 11 and their dead bodies will lie <clears throat> in the street of the great city which spiritually is called sodom and egypt where all also our lord was crucified so we know it to be jerusalem <clears throat> so their bodies lying in the the street of the great city being jerusalem which is referred to as sodom and egypt here due to the immoral depravity which has become accepted in society antichrist begins to feel victorious he feels like i've, I've got this I've, I've been victorious I've, I've, I've conquered these people and with modern technology we read in verse 9 of people from all over the world being able to see the corpses of these two witnesses as they lie in jerusalem's main street you can go on the internet and you'll at that time probably but you'll you'll see it and for three and a half days they will lie there causing the world to to celebrate their demise so the bodies just lie there and the world begins to celebrate in verse 10 of our text we read of the world celebrating and beginning to send gifts to one another in a celebration celebratory mindset because of the deaths of these prophets that's how much they were hated and this celebration seems like a, a christmas celebration it's pomp and it's active and it's exciting as the world celebrates something very unusual begins to take place <clears throat> verse 11 reads like this after three and a half days the breath of life from god entered them and they stood on their feet a great fear fell on those who saw them so after three and a half days as the world is celebrating these men begin to stand up and the world is shocked and causes fear to come upon them and the same breath that brought resurrection life to Jesus after his death at Calvary brings life to these two deceased beings for all the world, all the world to see. Now we're talking all the world. That's a different day. You see, the internet will be crazy. YouTube will be blocked. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram are going to be hectic and whatever new ones are on the go by at that point in time. All going to be all going to hit record levels of views. And the world will never have seen anything like this before. Not the whole world. Then they'll be called by a loud voice from heaven to come up here, and they will vanish up to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watch them in verse 12. 
So they're endless watching a cloud comes and they're just, they're gone. The entire world will watch these men who were dead, but are alive, be taken by God to his heaven. Authors, uh, John Phillips and Henry Morris, attempt to, attempt to describe the possibility of this event for us. Listen to what they say. Picture the scene, the sun-drenched sun streets of Jerusalem, the holiday crowds flown in from the ends of the earth for a first-hand look at the corpses of these detested men, the troops in the beast uniform, the temple police. They, there they are, devilish men from every kingdom under heaven, come to dance and feast at the triumph of the beast. And then it happens. As the crowd strain at the police cordon to peer curiously at the two dead bodies, there comes a sudden change. Their color changes from cadaverous hue to the blooming rosy, rosy glow of youth. Those stiff, stark limbs, they bend, they move. Oh, what a sight, they rise. You get the visual. It's pretty incredible to think that. People flying in to look at them, people watching them on television, whatever, on their computers and their phones, whatever at that stage, but they see them come to life. And with their being, with their being taken, what happens then in verse 13, <clears throat> an earthquake reduces a tenth of Jerusalem to dust, killing 7,000 people in that instant. Now, it's suggested that in the Greek text, the word used here for people refers to people of importance or people of prominence or distinction. Uh, this could be, uh, this could suggest that uh, many of those who were killed in this earthquake might be famous people or political leaders or well-known in the society at that point in time. Whoever they are, it will leave an impact upon the whole world of that time. And as the world watches on in horror at this scene, those who survived this great earthquake, they're so frightened that the scriptures tell us that they begin to give God the glory, recognizing this was an act of God. This was not something manufactured by Antichrist. This was not anything created by man. This was a, an uncontrollable act of God, and they begin to give God the glory. But in no way does their response mean that they became believers. But rather, it seems to be that they had what many, many people experienced, an emotional response to an act outside of their control, if you want. And quickly, these people will forget how gracious God is and spraying their lives. And quickly, they will return to their worship of Antichrist. They immediately go back like a dog to its vomit. They go back to worship Antichrist. As we pray today, I want us to recognize that our God is always in control, even during these tribulation events of the future, that he's in control to every event. And let's appreciate his ongoing love for mankind and his extended grace to humanity. He's saying to us today, this is the day of grace. Come to Christ. Lead your family to Christ. Live for Jesus today. And let's praise him. Let's give him thanks individually that we belong to him today if we know Jesus to be our Lord or Savior, the one who's redeemed us from sin, the one who's washed us clean, and the one that we're committed to, the one we follow, the one that we say, Lord, you're everything to us. We want to walk with you. So let's praise him today that we will never have to experience such horrendous times because we will be taken in the rapture as part of the church. These are good things. This is good news for us. But let's be praying for family. Let's be praying that they come to Christ in this day of grace. Let's witness. Let's stand up. Let's be counted for Jesus today. Let me pray for you as you step out to live like that. Lord, we thank you so much <clears throat> for this understanding. We thank you so much that we will not have to experience these horrendous times because we're your bride as members of the church, members of your body, washed in your blood. So, Lord, we pray for 
our extended families, that they will come to know Jesus. We pray, Lord, for our households, that they will come to know you quickly. Help our testimony to be genuine, pure, obvious, and strong. And help us to be a people, Lord, that, that love uh, those around us so we can show Christ to them. Lord, bless us and use us, we ask. And we pray on all of this, Lord, that, um, that none of our family members, none of our loved ones, will be left here for this tribulation, but that together we will be in your presence. Lord, we want to worship you this day. We want to follow you. So help us, we pray. Bring glory and honor to your holy name. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask now that your name is lifted high in our lives, and your name is the name that is truly glorified, magnified, and worshipped by each one of your redeemed people. In your name we ask these things. Amen. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening and pray you have a great week. Look forward to catching you soon. See you.